Welcome to another edition of the Untold Patriot Stories podcast with Scott Prusak and Dave Usher, where you'll hear stories told by the players and media members. Good, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Untold Patriot Stories. <clears throat> I'm excited to announce that we have Chris Curtis from WEEI on the podcast today. Uh, talk about some of his uh, radio um, and producing experience as well as some Patriot stuff. And he's a b- big Tom Brady fan. For those of you guys that don't listen to him on the Greg Hill Morning Show, he's a is a staunch Brady fan uh, and, and hasn't wavered since he left. So thank you, Chris, for coming, uh, Curtis, for coming on tonight. Appreciate it. Of course. And, uh, Pleasure to be here. Sorry, couldn't have been done sooner, but uh, glad to be on with you guys. All right. Thank you. So, Dave, take it away. Get it started. Yeah, glad glad you could be on. So, you know, uh, I, I guess what, what interests me a lot is, you know, we're now doing the podcast here, and obviously you've been, got a lot of experience in this type of thing. Scott and I were lucky enough to get a peek into, you know, what it's like for your show a little bit, at least when we attended the Toys for Tots mm-hmm. event um, at yeah. Rock Exotics in December. So, you know, I just wanted to Ferrari or anything or no, no, you know, I, I had got one the year before. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, so I just wanted to get a sense of, you know, what, it, what it's like working on the show. I mean, uh, we're, we're big fans of the show and, you know, as Scott has mentioned, uh, there's some, some, some great chemistry with you all. So just wanted to sort of get an inside look into that, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, it's um, it, Greg and I have been working together for, we began the summer of 19. So we're looking at about we're in our fourth year um, and I it's it was totally different than any show I had ever worked on in that everything else had been basically sports driven, sports based with sports guys. And this was really a time where I shifted from, you know, a guy that helped with other people's sports knowledge to the guy that was one of the driving sports entities of the program. And. It's really been seamless. I love Danielle. We worked great together. And Wiggy and I had known each other for a long time. And Greg really wanted this to succeed. And I think he respected, I won't speak for him, but he knew Ken and I at the time. Ken Laird is now not, no, he's the brand manager and we have our show on the weekend. But he really allowed Ken and I to be who we are and amplified our voices on the show. And it really sort of came together where... We, we like to have fun. We don't like to hate one another. We are genuinely friendly. I think one of the cool things about, you know, you mentioned seeing us at the uh, the Toys for Tots remote broadcast. When you see us on a remote, it's, you know, there's really not a difference. You know, we, we go to break, we, you know, we laugh, you know, there's not really, um, you know, personal animus. Obviously, arguments occur and people disagree, but it's just a, uh, I, I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say they really enjoy the show that, you know, given all that's gone on in our world in the last several years, that it's it's a nice listen where we talk about things people are talking about. But I have to say it's a, been a, a really nice work-life balance for me. You know, it's it's not all-encompassing, but it is lighthearted and, you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into it, but I think we rely a lot on the the separate and unique vantage points that we all bring to the table. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I think, I think another thing too, is uh, I think you guys kind of pioneered it a little bit, but um, you know, 
bringing Coco now on the show after Danielle had left. Right. And it seems like a lot of other shows now are kind of going that direction. And and I think you can definitely see, like you said, when you attend the events, I went to the um, the event at Encore. I've, I've been to probably four or five events, and you're exactly right. You know, you there's people that you meet, and this goes for athletes like as well as you guys. Um, you know, you, you see people in person, and then you like you realize that it's kind of genuine. And I think, I think that's what the show is. I mean, I drive to work every morning at, you know, five 30 and until I get to work, I'm listening to you guys. And sometimes I'll even listen to the part, you know, the podcast of the show. And right. uh, the, the, the chemistry is very visible. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it must be hard to keep the show on track with Wiggy. Cause Wiggy likes to go, <laughs> go off into tangents. Um, but, but, I, but that's I, like just on that, I think, you know, what makes it great, from my perspective, and I hope it translates, is that, you know, Courtney is a, you know, was at Nesson for several years in a different type of role. She comes into talk radio, which is, it's just, uh, you had mentioned you had Trenny on the podcast and working with her when she would do a, a show a week with Kirk and Jerry, she it is, it's just unlike anything you've ever done in media. It's such a personal relationship and the vitriol and the anger that is unleashed especially on young women yeah. is revolting it's it's like right. if you saw the text i mean it's just i don't know if people realize that you, you see their number and you can it's unbelievable <laughs> yeah. laugh. but you know courtney has really you know held her own and is at her best when she's angry from my yeah. point of view and allowed herself to be whoever it is she is and that's what more than anything else, what resonates where we live is authentic conversation. Yep. And, you know, we've been to, you know, you go to California, you go to the Midwest, really nice places. You know, my parents are in Florida. My family's down there. I'm going back tomorrow. Love it. But there is a genuine sort of relationship that we have with one another in this region that immediately is picked up on when it's not that way when you're being right. an authentic when you're trying to be someone you're not and that's why i think specifically talk radio in our market is the best place in the world to do it and i think that's part of the reason the show has been successful is that people see that it's real yeah and, and i mean it's like you know even like when i met you for the first time um you know i, I think it was it might have been at the ping i think the ping pong tournament that great um i think it was at the uh cornhole thing maybe well, maybe, maybe, no, I think you remember the ping pong. The ping pong was in Boston. It was like, oh, probably I'm sorry. Yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. That the uh, we did the Ken and Curtis show there, right, yeah. right, right. And I, and I'll never forget. I you know I went by myself and just uh, you know because I enjoy going to those things and you know talking to you. I mean, the first couple of times I talked to you, you, you know, you're just very genuine, you know, nice, approachable, and that that makes such a big difference. And as far as I mean, as far as Greg, I can remember, you know, when you listen, it's it's just like meeting an athlete. You know, you listen to the show every day and you think. You know, when you meet the person, you think you might meet something different than what you what you think, right? Right. And, and I, Greg is so another one that's just genuine. And I remember, you know, we just started having a conversation. It was like we were having a conversation, and I had known him for ten years. And you know, and, and that's that just shows the the people that you guys are. And you know, big fan of the show, and I, you know, and I enjoy listening. So, yeah, I mean, I grew up listening to radio in Boston. I listened to J John and Jerry every morning, and. Dale and Glenn and knew me and all those guys. And, you know, I knew what it felt like to meet those people yep. and to see them. And some were nice, some weren't, but you know, yep. there was, there was always this sort of wall that, that was put up. And I found that to be so silly. Like, right. 
yeah. you know, we rely on you to have a yeah. job. So why would I then be rude to you? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm- it was it was funny at the cornhole tournament. I went up to you because I was leaving for the cornhole tournament and I had a numb nut shirt. And I'm like, I said, I don't want to wear that. I was like, I'm going to go up and you know, say hi to the guy. And I got the shirt. And I don't know if you remember, but we, we were at the concession stand and your wife was buying a numb nut shirt. Yeah, and I said, I wasn't going to wear mine. And here you are buying one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That comes out on funny occasions around the house. But yes, no. It's, <laughs> uh, how cool is it? There's a T-shirt with my face on it. Awesome. There you, go. you know, who cares what uh, what it says? So do you mind going into where the nickname came from? So it was, I don't, so Greg and I were having a disagreement about something. It was probably Brady because it's always Brady. (laughs) And um, (laughs) he called, he got enraged and he called me numb nuts. And I just, we, it was like the icebreaker of the argument where like, we're screaming at one another and we're, you know, about something stupid, you know, totally irrelevant to the happiness of our lives. But, um, and then Ken just kept re, <laughs> you know, recycling the numb nuts. And yeah. then I think Spaz went out one day and like interviewed people and like asked them about numb nuts or some woman had this yeah. very deep accent in Boston. And anyway, so someone immediately was like we need numb nuts t-shirts because of that and then from there it's sort of stuck in a life of its own of it. but yeah it was a uh it was a it was the result of i'm sure prodding by me to greg over and over about how he was wrong about something <laughs> all right so let's talk before we i'll have dave ask you about brady a little bit but to sum up the year this year um you know, now, you know, I was listening to, it might even have been you guys talking about it, but um, how does everybody think that Belichick has kind of, the game's kind of passed him by. And with we saw what Andy Reid out scheming the Eagles the other night, um, his reluctantness to change as far as how he runs the team, you know, saying, you know, you're going to run the offense, you that's all I want you to do. I'm, I don't have any input. You run and get your people. Do you do you think that's going to be a problem that's going to persist? Because, I mean, honestly, like I don't see Belichick changing. So I don't – I think the league has kind of went by his coaching, you know, like the program or, or how they run the team. You can't do that anymore. When you had Brady, you could do that. But you 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 eventually have to start to adapt to the way the league is going. And you can't just simply keep doing the same things, running the same program that you were running when you don't have the players to do it. Yeah, I think obviously Brady was a key advantage, but early on um, of the dynasty to 01 to 06 around there, Pioli and Belichick were better than anybody with the cap when the cap really mattered. I mean, they were, you know, you think about a guy like Vrabel, they just got for nothing from the Steelers that became one of the cornerstones of a three championship winning roster. Yeah. One of my favorite. They're players. no longer able to do that. And then they had the advantage of Brady getting the guys like Martellus Bennett or LeGarrette Blunt or, yeah. you know, bringing James Harrison came in because he wanted to play with Brady. You know, these guys where maybe they weren't going to get the money, but they had the championship stick in their face because of Tom and, and Bill. And what really is just, um, Maybe the, the the decision by by Bill and the organization to not retain Tom and to go into this this period has obviously solidified many people's view of Brady over Bill. But more importantly, 
it revealed such a blind spot of how Bill Belichick views NFL offenses. Because I don't think Bill wanted to fail. He seems incredibly competitive. Right. He's very smart. So the manner in which he thought he could replicate the performance of his offense without Brady by bringing in the quarterback that happened to be there at 15 and Cam Newton is just galling when you combine that with who he decided to replace McDaniels with. Right, 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 right. It's like he really, you know, there, there, there was the quote in the, you know, Connor book where we all speculated who said it, but that they believe they could win with any top 15 quarterback. Right. And in hindsight, I think that they really, I mean, I I think that was an accurate depiction of how they viewed NFL offenses. And Bill's background as a defensive guy, maybe the best defensive coordinator in the history of the NFL, I would say he is. Mm -hmm. Best defensive mind in the history of the NFL, I would also say he is. There is this sort of, um, you know, because Bill was always able to stop Peyton the best of all time at that time. He just assumed they could figure it out. And, you know, he just didn't understand how far the offenses had outpaced defense, not only in how the games are officiated, but in the McVeighs, the Reeds, the, the Taylors, the, you know, up and down these rosters, these rosters were enhanced by their coaches. And what Belichick has done has detracted from talent that isn't as high or as as real as these other rosters. So you had right. this double-edged sword of suck. And it was Ken and I did this over the weekend where we said, what was a worse move? Was it benching Butler or was it hiring Patricia and Judge? And it was like 50-50, the poll question. Right. Great question. Both are inexcusable, right? No, yeah. There's really no defense for it. People have tried. And one impacted a Super Bowl. And the other may have impacted the next quarterback and threw away a season. So right. I I just am I'm heartened by the offseason where it appears Robert is, you know, back in there and he's got Bill O'Brien in and they bring in Adrian Clem, which I think is a great, you know, addition to the offensive coaching staff. But the way in which they just didn't replace one of the great line coaches in NFL history in Skarnakia and how they just put these two guys who had failed so miserably yep. in these positions of power. And in August, it was not working, and they right, right. it. Yeah, <laughs> I just will never understand it. I will never understand it. Well, especially from somebody that his mantra has always been, "I'm going to do what's best for the team," you know. And then, you know, yeah. Pat- Patricia telling the reporter to stand up straight, and you know, Joe Judge effectively, you know, ruining their quarterback, and then he's gone, and the quarterback has, you know, has a pretty good year. Like kneeling on third down. Yeah, it, it, it's just it, it's it's hard to believe, you know, and it, but the thing is, is, though, even bringing in Bill O'Brien. Is he going to give him the ultimate control of the offense? Is, isn't it? Is there is this is Belichick's thing? Like, he doesn't want to bring in a contradicting voice like to move to, to move past things. You have to think different and do do things different. So how different from the old style is is Bill O'Brien going to be? Yeah, this is where it gets into murky water where people think I have an issue with Bill's kids. I don't. I, I went to high school with one, but he was five years younger than me. We met each other a couple times. That was it. They seem like really nice kids. And I mean that sincerely. Yeah. But when you have your kids on the staff, it's very difficult to hold other people on the staff accountable. 
And when you are outwardly saying, I don't know who he said this to, but it's widely reported that Bill said he was done coaching a-holes and he was done working with a-holes that basically he wanted to coach players. He liked yeah, coach players. He liked. And, you know, in the past, that was great. Bringing a guy like Brian Cox, who was a great player, who was a little on the edge, but he had a real edge to him that brought, I think was incredibly helpful to the O one title. And his guys were people that added on the field and off. Whereas now you have people that are subtracting. And I'm grateful that Mayo's staying. It would have been an absolute disaster to lose him. But I think Bill O'Brien is going to be very good this year because he's entering at a great spot. And, you know, you can't be worse. And <laughs> as I said, I like Clem. And I, I think that, you know, Troy Brown, obviously, he doesn't love Troy Brown uh, as the receivers coach. It's just, it used to be you tolerated Bill because you knew you were in pursuit of greatness. And you took a little less. You dealt with the berating in public. You dealt with the the sort of very, uh, you know, negative, miserable attitude that he, you know, outwardly resembles because it was all for a greater goal. And I just, I don't know. I don't feel that with this organization right now. I don't know that there's people that are coming here, enduring everything, and want to be a part of this organization because they think they'll win it all. I, I think if the Patriots pay, people will come here. It's not that players won't come here. Yeah. All things are equal. I, I think there still might be some that play for Bill. But the days of them being able to get a good player at an 85% market value are gone. And yeah. I am still wondering. The Crafts announced today that they're raising season ticket prices. Yep. And I don't know. I don't know if they're going to go out there and spend money because they need a level talent, not four guys that are B's to B pluses and hopefully yeah. hit on one or two. You need look at what every great team has done. Look at AJ Brown with the Eagles. Yeah. You no longer have Mahomes. So Mahomes is a, is a unicorn. He is one of the greatest players in NFL history. You can win with less on offense because you have him combined with one of the best offensive minds in NFL history. They're not really on the table, but you look right. at Higgins and Jamar Chase. You look at what Steph Diggs has done with the Bills. You look at what Tua got this year when he was healthy and not, you know, concussed with Waddle and um, the other receiver from um, Alabama. And uh, and the, the, the Gasecki, the whole team. Anyway, the, the Patriots need those kinds of players. Yep. And I don't I, I have yet to see that that's something that they're going to truly go after. No, I agree. I think when you go talk about the defense, I mean, that can be a plug and play because I think Bill can coach them up so well. But as you talked before, on the offensive side, there needs to be some weapons. And, you know, that's not there yet. Um, hopefully they'll they'll do something with it. But they're, they're, we're also looking at a, a tougher AFC East than they've ever had. In right. The potential for someone like an Aaron Rodgers to go to the Jets. I mean, you know, then you're looking at you know, six six division games that are just really difficult each year. Right. And, I mean, you look at the Jets, that's been their one sort of bright spot the last several years. Their record against the Dolphins and Bills has been atrocious. And if the, you know, if the Jets get Aaron Rodgers with that defense, I mean, I'll still believe, I, I guarantee you. <laughs> the Jets are the Jets. <laughs> don't mess it up. Uh, I, I'm so excited. I really want Rodgers to go to the Jets because it's just such a perfect marriage of those fans in that a-hole. Like, 
Like, I, I love seeing the every offseason where it's like that. Did you see the, the Jets like offseason miniseries on YouTube last year? They had Rich Eisen was tweeting about it. And it's like they're talking like Joe Douglas is, you know, Scott Pioli and yeah. Salas, Bill Belichick. And it's like they, they will always mess it Just up. Just get away. Also, don't most GMs get fired if they blow the second overall pick on a guy that doesn't look like he can play in the league, but Joe Douglas <laughs> is still like Yeah, good point. Rogers 50 million a year after they just used their first, their second overall pick on that guy. But nonetheless, uh Sas Gardner can play. They've made some other good picks. And if the division is like that, I mean, we had a brief discussion this morning about that. I mean, it if, if the if Rogers goes to the Jets, how do you see the Patriots making the playoffs next year? I don't. They could be the worst team in the division, literally, next yeah. year. I mean, if if you're looking at, uh, I mean, I don't know their full non-conference schedule and who they're playing in conference, but nonetheless, it's this is a massive year because I will give Robert Kraft credit for this, that prior to the owners' meetings last year, he said that Bill has earned the latitude to do things his way. I don't always agree with it, but. He's been incredibly successful, and so we, you know, he can create a staff. The, the season ends immediately. They send that email to the season ticket holders saying it's unacceptable. Kraft medals brings up the contract negotiations with Mayo. They retain Mayo. They bring in Bill O'Brien. It appears Kraft has taken this personally and he's reengaging. So hopefully that continues. But they're going to need to have an A plus off season to just contend in the AFC next year. Yeah, they need wide receivers. I mean, like you said, they need the talent around them. Left tackle. They need a right tackle. Yeah, a corner. Yeah, they need they need a bunch. They yeah. definitely need a bunch. And they're not going to say. I mean, they're not going to spend in free agency at least if you know the past has been any indication. So, um, so I, I guess I I wanted to get into this because one of the things that we like to talk about is especially with everything going on nowadays, um, you know, in the world and. People dealing with anxiety, depression. Um, when you were in the radio, and I remember I was listening. I think when you had left and came back, um, you know, you had a you had an issue with alcoholism, and you've overcome that to be you know to be on the radio and you know be on a well known uh, radio show. So you know, just tell us. You know, share some stories with people about you know if they are going through stuff. You know, how did you get through it? And um, you know, I wanted to say congratulations. I actually saw a picture on your Instagram page where you said. You gave the time that you've been sober and it led to your, your son. Yeah. Right. And uh, that was yeah. pretty nice. All James, today, by the way, big day for a little James. He's crawling in Florida. He just wanted me. He was, in, I was intimidating. So he waited for me to leave, but he crawled through. So. Well, and congratulations uh, on, congratulations on the birth of your son too last year. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, do you guys have kids? I have a yes. son. Yeah. 24. Yep. Yeah. It, everybody says the whole nine months or six months after you tell people how your life changes and you're like, F off, you know, yeah. and, <laughs> holy crap. but, um, uh, thank you. So, um, I, I'll be seven years sober in April if everything continues as planned. Congratulations. And, um, I was just drank a lot. And then, um, this business, uh, I started, doing overnights at ESPN radio in Bristol, commuting to Waltham, doing 890 ESPN when Felger had left with this show, Lou and Mike, commuting from Charlestown to Waltham, then doing the overnight and then back and forth. And I, you know, would always drink. But when my life became so full of my job, I drank and drove and drank and got in accidents and drank and caused issues with my relationships. And 
Finally got into uh, the morning show at EEI after producing nights at the Sports Hub since its inception for about three years. So it will be 10 years, April 1st, since I started at EEI. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, did the morning show there. And that schedule and the stress of the job um, was sort of a double-edged sword because my wife's a teacher. So I'd be done, be home by 1130 noon, and I had four hours to kill. and. Just would drink, pass out, wake up, drink, pass out, and uh, fast forward to um, a point where I was, you know, been given every ultimatum in the book, was as ill as could be. I caught myself shaving before going to a Celtics playoff game, and um, bleeding never stopped. So I ended up in the ICU. I took drove myself to Boston Medical Center, ended up in the ICU. The doctors and nurses there saved my life. I had liver failure and... Um, alcoholic uh hepatitis and uh it was bad but um was able to find a uh, rehab facility through mclean that i went to about a week later and uh, did outpatient stuff and then about four months later without anybody at the station knowing i was asked to come back took a pay cut off of a very low salary to get back <laughs> yeah um then uh, about a year later i talked about it on the air and they found out and, um, you know, it's been a, uh, very rewarding process, you know, being on the radio really does provide accountability, which has helped me. Uh, and the amount of people it's, I always joke that we go to a remote and people run up to Wiggy and are like, Oh, the snowball, will you sign this? And, you know, Greg, like, oh, old day rem- memories of, you know, being at some crazy event where they were, you know, sledding on a broken toboggan with the great. <laughs> <truck. laughs> yeah. And then, like, you know, I have these these unbelievable parents of people that are fighting addiction come up to me. And, and you know, this one woman well, at the event this year, she came up to me and she said her son was six months sober and she's crying and she's shaking. And she just said, you know, you, I hear you every morning. And you give me hope. And it's just, it's such an awesome responsibility. And um, there's nothing I'd rather do in the world than be on the radio in Boston and to have the privilege to be able to do it and to do it now, uh, you know, sober and and relatively healthy is uh, the greatest gift of my life outside of my family. So it's a, it's a great, you know, it's it's difficult, but I do feel it also really important to the people that hear our show who are men, you know, target demo, women listen, and we love it. But um, men 25, 54, who are kind of negatively reinforced when they talk about mental health. I think the stigma hopefully is dissipating considering the world we live in today. But, um, you know, it's the amount of people I hear from about their struggles and where they can go. It's, It's something that I don't think we can talk about enough. Well, first of all, I want to say congratulations and um, you you should be proud of what you've accomplished and, you know, to know that you can affect the lives of people, you know, not only listening to the show and, you know, enjoying what you do, you know, as a host on the show, but, you know, to be able to, to affect people's lives, like you just said, you know, parents coming up to you saying, you know, that that you're giving them hope that, that, that is pretty awesome. And like I said, I just wanted to congratulate you. That's, that's a, it's a good story. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm glad everything worked out and you're here doing the podcast with us. So. Me too. It's um, truth is stranger than fiction. It's a wild yeah. ride, but I could not be more grateful to to be where I am. All right, so I, go ahead. Go I was going to say it's powerful stuff. Good for you. I mean, that's um, 
So, you know, I guess, you know, we talked about one of the themes was overcoming obstacles, obviously the title untold Patriot stories. Um, so we got to get, get, get a poke at you a little bit. You got, you got to have some wiggy dirt, right? You got to get out. Oh, man. Story. Uh, <laughs> the, the thing with wiggy is that he is just, if I had one word to describe it, just, he's earnest. Like he is, he cares. He like goes to camp and. <laughs> um, no, I, he's, he, he's such a good dad. Like during breaks, like his, his son was out in Tucson at university of Arizona this fall and he's waking him up, you know, what are you doing today? How are you? What's going on? But, um, I do have a good, I've told this, I think, on the air once, but I have a good, it's, is it a Wiggy story? But when I was a senior at Rivers, um, they Patriots sucked. They were 5-11 and 11 going into the year. They My senior year, they won the Super Bowl, but, you know, Bill was 5-11 and 11 in his first year. The year before, they had fired Pete Carroll. And um, they had a silent auction where my buddy's <laughs> parents, my parents and their, my friend's parents were there. And they bid on uh, a Patriots game where you got to go with Debbie Belichick and the kids. And then you went to the suite with the kids and then you got to play on the field after. And so my dad, being the BC guy, he has picked the Patriots Chargers game so that he could see Flutie and we could go whatever. So I go to the game with Amanda, Steve and Brian with my three good friends. And uh, we get driven to the part of the game. We were down there. The Patriots were trailing in the fourth quarter. And we had to go back up to the suite because the security was nervous that the kids were going to be hearing too much crap about their dad. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so we went up and Wiggy had a big game tying touchdown catch. So it was like my world was all coming together. And then um, the Patriots came back and won. And I don't think they lost another game that season. But um, that was really the birth of the Patriots dynasty. And I remember uh, Pioli brought us into his office afterwards. And at the time we were like, okay, let's go home. Like the Patriots, yeah. who cares, you know? And um, they signed Ken Walter while we were there. And so we always laughed when Ken Walter would suck that it was our fault because they brought him in. But um, <laughs> it was, uh, that was one of the coolest things that, you know, in hindsight, really what an amazing place to have been you know where that was really the the period where this unbelievable run of success really began so it was a really cool uh unbelievable thing to look back on so you're well, saying you started the dynasty i thought i mean bill in his honest <laughs> say that before this year because i think wiggy is the one who, who says he started the dynasty bro. right well uh <laughs> wiggy wiggy certainly does say that um, I, I still think he might have been one of an embedded Patriots in the uh, Super Bowl 38 because he says he was rooting for the Patriots anyway when he was on the Panthers. Yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> so my, my I have two two questions, and then I'll turn over to Dave, and we'll get this wrapped up. So my first question would be, I think I know where you stand because, like I said, I, I listen to the show, so I know how you I know you're you, you uh you're a Brady guy all the way. So do you well do you think that they should have the they already said pretty much, but the one day contract. And do you think that's something that's going to actually happen? No, I don't. I think Bill, I, I don't think Bill or Tom want to do it. I, I know Robert does and he owns the team so that, you know, Tom isn't a guy that really likes conflict. So maybe he acquiesces and they do it, but there needs to be a Brady night. And, you know, Bill and Tom have clearly buried the hatchet. That was a great, you know, thing to listen to. I love hearing people in the media in Boston rip them. Like all we've said is that we want them to stop fighting and bickering and so yeah. they put their differences aside and now we're <laughs> mad that they're they're like rewriting history it's just, yeah or it's made up or they you know whatever like, all 
we can't have nice things. Like you can't hate everything. Okay. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know how you are a red blooded Bostonian and you listen to those two gushing about each other and don't just sit back and lap it up. Like it was awesome. I would yeah. have rather know Jim Gray, but that's me. But um, they should have a Tom Brady night. I remember I was, I think nine when they had Larry night at the garden. Yep. And yep. I so wanted to go and it was too late. I mean, then whatever. But I, I, I remember the city, you know, I think that might have been the final event at the old garden, maybe one of them. It was close uh, to it's February fourth to nineteen ninety two. I don't don't ask me why I remember the date, but that's that was the day. Oh yeah. So I was I was just about to turn eight. So not quite ten, nine. But anyway, yeah, that was um something that's embedded into all of us that were around here. And I think Tom deserves that. And it would be a really cool you know, standalone, you know, they have, I was saying on the show, they have that uh, season ticket holder and Foxborough resident scrimmage yeah. in August right. every year, something like that. I mean, you could put this, sell tickets for charity, whatever, and have it, you know, bring in all the great Patriots. I think it would be just such a cool way to celebrate, you know, it's celebrating Tom, but it's really celebrating the last 20 years of Patriots dominance yeah. and, I think it would be a one of the toughest tickets in Boston history if they do it. I agree. So my last question would be, if you had to pick, I mean, in your time in the radio covering the Patriots through, through the dynasty, if you had to pick one moment while you while you were doing radio and stuff that would be your top memory of all time, what would that what would that be? Oh man, um, by far and away, the morning after Super Bowl Fifty One. We were unsure of getting Tom on because some days after the Super Bowl, there were so many of them, you'd get them like Tuesday or once they're back, whatever. So it was like 840 and Jerry and Kirk, you know, we don't really, we're just sort of tap dancing what's going on. And we get a call on the hotline and I talk, pick it up and, you know, I said, oh, Chris, Tom Brady, um, I'm good to go. And he was on the golf cart from the hotel to the morning breakfast presser with Goodell, where he was to be given the Super Bowl MVP trophy. Yeah. And I just remember being like, what an awesome thing to say. Congratulations personally to a guy that just had the most amazing thing. I still rewatch it and I can't believe it. And that morning, <laughs> you know, him coming on and he was just so awestruck by himself but in the deferential way and in and, and just hearing and knowing that the second he hung up you know jerry was like you know be an ass to goodell you know he was, he was sort of it was it was really a cool um we sort of hung up with him and then we picked up the press conference right after and it was just such a you know that moment in that game will always be etched into the history of the city and to have the opportunity to talk to tom immediately after before he sees this villain and goodell after he basically ruined the whole deflate gate narrative the night before it was pretty cool. Yep. Roger that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then that commercial came right on after with the, that, <laughs> that was the the cherry on top of the cake, but yeah, I, I you know, you, you talk about being entrenched in the city. I, I, I thought that the 1980 uh, Olympic team was going to be the memory of my lifetime in sports. And I, I think Super Bowl 51 surpassed that. That was, that was just an amazing memory. Um, but to, to talk about the Patriots, you know, you have um, Ty Tuesdays. You have Ty Law on yes. each week. Um, thoughts on him? Had any interesting interactions? What's what's it like dealing with a Hall of Famer? Oh, my God. Ty Law is such a unique guy. <laughs> oh, 
Uh, he is another guy, you know, he's a little more talented and accomplished than Wiggy, but don't tell him. <laughs> they, they have a very similar authentic demeanor. We had a um, Greg Hill Foundation had a bowling event, 24 lanes for Ty. And um, and it was out in uh, Apex in Middleborough. And uh, awesome event. And Ty was there. And it was like he was just talking to people, taking pictures, having some vodka, whatever. But he was just so comfortable in who he is, so proud of his accomplishment and so grateful for the support. And it's just such a cool experience interacting with him, seeing him. And, you know, for me, Ty Law was, you know, I fell in love with the Patriots right around when Parcells came in. I was about eight years old. And Mm -hmm. that 95 draft with, Ty Law, Ted Johnson, uh, you know, up and down that that unbelievable. I think Teddy Bruschi was in that draft. Um, and Ty's dominance over Peyton Manning. I mean, his oh yeah, his favorite and, receiver. I mean, the way in which you know he was really the only guy. He and Bill Belichick were the only guys that really stood in Peyton Manning's way. I mean, every other week, I mean, you saw Peyton throw an interception, and it was like a breaking news story. So. <laughs> Um, no, Ty is as real as it gets. And, um, I love when he's in studio. Uh, I always prefer in studio, but, uh, any part of it, he's been such a great part of the show the last two years. All right. Well, I just wanted to wrap this up and just say, uh, thanks again for taking the time to come on and your story is a great one. And again, I just wanted to congratulate you, you know, the birth of your son, James. So all that's good stuff and, uh, enjoyed having you on. And if I think, honestly, I think you guys are the best show on radio. Um, That's just my opinion. And he Uh, means it. (laughs) But when you, um, you know, if you get a chance, you know, definitely take a listen to to the Greg Hill morning show, 93.7. And you can hear Curtis on there. And uh, the weatherman also, you're also now an established weatherman. You'll probably hear Wiggy talking if you tune in, but just be patient. (laughs) <laughs> yep, there you go. But like I said, thank you for for being on, and hopefully we'll uh, we'll see you some events real soon. All right, and, Scott, uh, and Dave, really a pleasure to talk to you here, and it's been great to meet you out at the uh, event. So thank you for having me. All Thanks, right, Chris. have a safe trip to Florida. Go enjoy the warm weather. I will. You guys take care. All right, thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to Untold Patriot Stories with Scott Prusak and Dave Usher. Please follow us on whatever platform you download your podcasts and be sure to tell your friends.